Book Two, Chapter Three, of A Voyage Towards the South Pole and Round the World, Volume One by James Cook. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Cole. Chapter Three, A Description of the Islands and Their Produce, with the Cultivation, Houses, Canoes, Navigation, Manufactures weapons, customs, government, religion, and language of the inhabitants. 1773, October. These islands were first discovered by Captain Tasman in January 1642-3, and by him called Amsterdam and Middleburg. But the former is called by the natives Tongatavu, and the latter Iowi, they are situated between the latitude of 21 degrees 29 minutes and 21 degrees 3 minutes south, and between the longitude of 174 degrees 40 minutes and 175 degrees 15 minutes west, deduced from observations made on the spot. Middleburg, or Iuwi, which is the southernmost, is about 10 leagues in circuit, and of a height sufficient to be seen twelve leagues. The skirts of this isle are mostly taken up in the plantations, the south-west and north-west sides especially. The interior parts are but little cultivated, though very fit for cultivation. However, the want of it added greatly to the beauty of the isle, for here are, agreeably dispersed, groves of coconut and other trees, lawns covered with thick grass, here and there plantations, and paths leading to every part of the island, in such beautiful disorder as greatly enlivens the prospect. The anchorage which I named English Road, being the first who anchored there, is on the northwest side in latitude 21 degrees 20 minutes 30 seconds south. The bank is of a coarse sand. It extends two miles from the land, and on it there is from twenty to forty fathoms water. The small creek before it affords convenient landing for boats at all times of the tide, which here, as well as at the other islands, rises about four or five feet, and is high water on the full and change days about seven o'clock. The island of Tongatabu is shaped something like an isosceles triangle, the longest sides whereof are seven leagues each, and the shortest four. It lies nearly in the direction of east-south-east and west-north-west, is nearly all of an equal height, rather low, not exceeding sixty or eighty feet above the level of the sea. This island, and also that of Iuwi, is guarded from the sea by a reef of coral rocks, extending out from the shore one hundred fathoms more or less. On this reef the force of the sea is spent before it reaches the land or shore. Indeed, this is in some measure the situation of all the tropical isles in this sea that I have seen, and thus nature has effectually secured them from the encroachments of the sea, though many of them are mere points when compared to this vast ocean. Van Diemen's Road, where we anchored, is under the northwest part of the island, between the most northern and western points. There lies a reef of rocks without it, bearing north-west by west, over which the sea breaks continually. 
the bank does not extend more than three cables lengths from the shore without that is an unfathomable depth the loss of an anchor and the damage our cable sustained are sufficient proofs that the bottom is none of the best on the east side of the north point of the island as mr gilbert whom i sent to survey the parts informed me is a very snug harbour of one mile or more in extent wherein is seven eight and ten fathoms water with a clean sandy bottom the channel by which he went in and out lies close to the point and has only three fathoms water but he believes that farther to the north-east is a channel with a much greater depth which he had not time to examine indeed it would have taken up far more time than i could spare to have surveyed these parts minutely as there lies a number of small islets and reefs of rocks along the north-east side of the island which seem to extend to the north-east farther than the eye could reach the island of amsterdam or tongatabu is wholly laid out in plantations in which are planted some of the richest productions of nature such as breadfruit coconut trees plantains bananas shaddocks yams and some other roots sugar-cane and a fruit like a nectarine called by them figheia and at otahiti ahuya in short here are most of the articles which the society islands produce besides some which they have not mr forster tells me that he not only found the same plants here that are at otahiti and at the neighbouring isles but several others which are not to be met with there and i probably have added to their stock of vegetables by leaving with them an assortment of garden seeds pulses etc breadfruit here as well as at all the other isles was not in season nor was this the time for roots and shaddocks we got the latter only at middleburg the produce and cultivation of this isle is the same as at amsterdam with this difference that a part only of the former is cultivated whereas the whole of the latter is the lanes or roads necessary for travelling are laid out in so judicious a manner as to open a free and easy communication from one part of the island to the other here are no towns or villages most of the houses are built in the plantations with no other order than what conveniency requires they are neatly constructed but do not exceed those in the other isles the materials of which they are built are the same and some little variation in the disposition of the framing is all the difference in their construction the floor is a little raised and covered with thick strung mats the same sort of matting serves to enclose them on the windward side the other being open they have little areas before the most of them which are generally planted round with trees or shrubs of ornament whose fragrancy perfumes the very air in which they breathe their household furniture consists of a few wooden platters coconut shells and some neat wooden pillows shaped like four-footed stools or forms their common clothing with the addition of a mat serves them for bedding we got from them two or three earthen vessels which were all we saw among them one was in the shape of a bombshell with two bowls in it 
opposite one another. The others were like pipkins, containing about five or six pints, and had been in use on the fire. I am of opinion they are the manufacture of some other isle, for if they were of their own, we ought to have seen more of them. Nor am I to suppose they came from Tasman ships. The time is too long for brittle vessels like these to be preserved. We saw no other domestic animals amongst them but hogs and fowls. The former are of the same sort as at the other isles in this sea, but the latter are far superior, being as large as any we have in Europe, and their flesh equally good if not better. We saw no dogs and believe they have none, as they were exceedingly desirous of those we had on board. My friend Otago was complimented with a dog and a bitch, the one from New Zealand, the other from Ulitea. The name of the dog with them is Kuri or Guri, the same as at New Zealand, which shows that they are not wholly strangers to them. We saw no rats in these isles, nor any other wild quadrupeds except small lizards. The land birds are pigeons, turtle doves, parrots, parroquets, owls, bald coots with a blue plumage, a variety of small birds, and large bats in abundance. The produce of the sea we know but little of. It is reasonable to suppose that the same sorts of fish are found here as at the other isles. Their fishing instruments are the same, that is, hooks made of mother-of-pearl, gigs with two, three, or more prongs, and nets made of a very fine thread, with the meshes wrought exactly like ours. But nothing can be a more demonstrative evidence of their ingenuity than the construction and make of their canoes, which in point of neatness and workmanship exceed everything of this kind we saw in the sea. They are built of several pieces sewn together with bandage, in so neat a manner that on the outside it is difficult to see the joints. All the fastenings are on the inside and pass through cants or ridges, which are wrought on the edges and ends of the several boards which compose the vessel for that purpose. They are of two kinds, viz. double and single. The single ones are from twenty to thirty feet long, and about twenty or twenty-two inches broad in the middle. The stern terminates in a point, and the head something like the point of a wedge. At either end is a kind of deck for about one-third part of the whole length, and open in the middle. In some the middle of the deck is decorated with a row of white shells, stuck on little pegs wrought out of the same piece which composes it. These single canoes have all outriggers, and are sometimes navigated with sails, but more generally with paddles, the blades of which are short and broadest in the middle. The two vessels which compose the double canoe are each about sixty or seventy feet long, and four or five broad in the middle, and each end terminates nearly in a point, so that the body or hull differs a little in construction from the single canoe, but is put together exactly in the same manner. These have a rising in the middle round the open part in the form of a long trough, which is made of boards closely fitted together and well secured to the body of the vessel. 
two such vessels are fastened to, and parallel to each other, about six or seven feet asunder, by strong cross-beams secured by bandages to the upper part of the risings above mentioned. Over these beams and others which are supported by stanchions fixed on the bodies of the canoes, is laid a boarded platform. All the parts which compose the double canoe are made as strong and light as the nature of the work will admit, and may be immersed in water to the very platform without being in danger of filling. Nor is it possible, under any circumstances whatever, for them to sink so long as they hold together. Thus they are not only vessels of burden, but fit for distant navigation. They are rigged with one mast, which steps upon the platform, and can easily be raised or taken down, and are sailed with a latin sail, or triangular one, extended by a long yard which is a little bent or crooked. The sail is made of mats, the rope they make use of is exactly like ours, and some of it is four or five inch. On the platform is built a little shed or hut, which screens the crew from the sun and weather, and serves for other purposes. They also carry a movable fire hearth, which is a square but shallow trough of wood filled with stones. The way into the hold of the canoe is from off the platform, down a sort of uncovered hatchway in which they stand to bail out the water. I think these vessels are navigated either end foremost, and that, in changing tacks, they have only occasion to shift or jib round the sail. But of this I was not certain, as I had not then seen any under sail, or with a mast and sail an end, but what were a considerable distance from us. Their working tools are made of stone, bone, shells, etc., as at the other islands. When we view the work which is performed with these tools, we are struck with admiration at the ingenuity and patience of the workmen. Their knowledge of the utility of iron was no more than sufficient to teach them to prefer nails to beads and such trifles. Some, but very few, would exchange a pig for a large nail or a hatchet. Old jackets, shirts, cloth, and even rags were in more esteem than the best edge tool we could give them. Consequently they got but few axes from us but what were given as presents. But if we include the nails which were given by the officers and crews of both ships for curiosities, etc., with those given for refreshments, they cannot have got less than five hundred weight, great and small. The only piece of iron we saw among them was a small broad awl, which had been made of a nail. Both men and women are of a common size with Europeans, and their colour is that of a lightish copper, and more uniformly so than amongst the inhabitants of Otaheite and the Society Isles. Some of our gentlemen were of opinion these were a much handsomer race, others maintained a contrary opinion of which number I was one. Be this as it may, they have a good shape and regular features, and are active, brisk, and lively. The women, in particular, are the merriest creatures I ever met with, and will keep chattering by one side, without the least invitation, or considering whether they are understood, 
provided one does but seem pleased with them. In general they appeared to be modest, although there was no want of those of a different stamp, and as we had yet some venereal complaints on board, I took all possible care to prevent the disorder being communicated to them. On most occasions they showed a strong propensity to pilfering, in which they were full as expert as the Otaheitans. Their hair in general is black, but more especially that of the women. Different colours were found among the men, sometimes on the same head, caused by something they put upon it, which stains it white, red, and blue. Both sexes wear it short. I saw but two exceptions to this custom, and the most of them combed it upwards. Many of the boys had it cut very close, except a single lock on the top of the head, and a small quantity on each side. The men cut or shaved their beards quite close, which operation is performed with two shells. They had fine eyes and in general good teeth, even to an advanced age. The custom of tattooing, or puncturing the skin, prevails. The men are tattooed from the middle of the thigh to above the hips. The women have it only on their arms and fingers, and there but very slightly. The dress of both sexes consists of a piece of cloth or matting wrapped around the waist and hanging down below the knees. From the waist upwards they are generally naked, and it seemed to be a custom to anoint these parts every morning. My friend Otago never failed to do it, but whether out of respect to his friend or from custom, I will not pretend to say, although I rather think the latter, as he was not singular in the practice. Their ornaments are amulets, necklaces, and bracelets of bones, shells, and beads of mother-of-pearl, tortoise shell, etc., which are worn by both sexes. The women also wear on their fingers neat rings made of tortoise shell, and pieces in their ears about the size of a small quill. But ear ornaments are not commonly worn, though all have their ears pierced. They have also a curious apron, made of the outside fibres of the coconut shell, and composed of a number of small pieces sewed together in such a manner as to form stars, half-moons, little squares, etc. It is studded with beads of shells and covered with red feathers, so as to have a pleasing effect. They make the same kind of cloth and of the same materials as at Otaheite, though they have not such a variety, nor do they make any so fine. But as they have a method of glazing it, it is more durable, and will resist rain for some time, which Otaheite cloth will not. Their colours are black, brown, purple, yellow, and red, all made from vegetables. They make various sorts of matting, some of a very fine texture, which is generally used for clothing, and the thick and stronger sort serves to sleep on, and to make sails for their canoes, etc. Among other useful utensils, they have various sorts of baskets. Some are made of the same materials as their mats, and others of the twisted fibres of coconuts. These are not only durable but beautiful, 
being generally composed of different colours and studded with beads made of shells or bones. They have many little knack-knacks amongst them, which shows that they neither want taste to design nor skill to execute whatever they take in hand. How these people amuse themselves in their leisure hours I cannot say, as we are but little acquainted with their diversions. The women frequently entertained us with songs in a manner which was agreeable enough. They accompany the music by snapping their fingers so as to keep time to it. Not only their voices, but their music was very harmonious, and they have a considerable compass in their notes. I saw but two musical instruments amongst them. One was a large flute made of a piece of bamboo, which they fill with their noses as at Otaheite, but these have four holes or stops, whereas those of Otaheite have only two. The other was composed of ten or eleven small reeds of unequal lengths, bound together side by side, as the Doric pipe of the ancients is said to have been and the open ends of the reeds into which they blow with their mouths are of equal height or in a line. They have also a drum which, without any impropriety, may be compared to a hollow log of wood. The one I saw was five feet six inches long and thirty inches in girth, and had a slit in it from the one end to the other about three inches wide by means of which it had been hollowed out. They beat on the side of this log with two drumsticks, and produce a hollow sound, not quite so musical as that of an empty cask. The common method of saluting one another is by touching or meeting noses, as is done in New Zealand, and their sign of peace to strangers is the displaying a white flag or flags. At least such were displayed to us when we first drew near the shore. But the people who came first on board brought with them some of a pepper plant, and sent it before them into the ship, a stronger sign of friendship than which one could not wish for. From their unsuspicious manner of coming on board, and of receiving us at first on shore, I am of opinion they are seldom disturbed by either foreign or domestic troubles. They are, however, not unprovided with very formidable weapons, such as clubs and spears, made of hard wood, also bows and arrows. The clubs are from three to five feet in length, and of various shapes. Their bows and arrows are but indifferent, the former being very slight, and the latter made only of a slender reed, pointed with hard wood. Some of their spears have many barbs and must be very dangerous weapons where they take effect. On the inside of the bow is a groove in which is put the arrow, from which it would seem that they use but one. They have a singular custom of putting everything you give them to their heads by way of thanks, as we conjectured. This manner of paying a compliment is taught them from their very infancy, for when we gave things to little children, the mother lifted up the child's hand to its head. They also used this custom in their exchanges with us. Whatever we gave them for their goods was always applied to the head, just as if it had been given them for nothing. Sometimes they would look at our goods 
and if not approved returned them back. But whenever they applied them to the head, the bargain was infallibly struck. When I had made a present to the chief of anything curious, I frequently saw it handed from one to another, and every one, into his, whose hands it came, put it to the head. Very often the women would take hold of my hand, kiss it, and lift it to their heads. From all this it would seem that this custom, which they call fagafeti, has various significations according as it is applied, all, however, complimentary. It must be observed that the sullen chief or king did not pay me any of these compliments for the presents I made him. A still more singular custom prevails in these isles. We observed that the greater part of the people, both men and women, had lost one or both their little fingers. We endeavoured, but in vain, to find out the reason of this mutilation, for no one would take any pains to inform us. It was neither peculiar to rank, age, or sex, nor is it done at any certain age, as we saw those of all ages on whom the amputation had been just made, and, except some young children, we found few who had both hands perfect. As it was more common among the aged than the young, some of us were of opinion that it was occasioned by the death of their parents, or some other near relations. But Mr. Wales one day met with a man whose hands were both perfect, of such an advanced age that it was hardly possible his parents could be living. They also burn or make incisions in their cheeks near the cheekbone. The reason of this was equally unknown to us. In some the wounds were quite fresh, in others they could only be known by the scars or colour of the skin. I saw neither sick nor lame amongst them. All appeared healthy, strong, and vigorous, a proof of the goodness of the climate in which they live. I have frequently mentioned a king which implies the government being in a single person, without knowing for certain whether it is so or no. Such a one was, however, pointed out to us, and we had no reason to doubt it. From this and other circumstances, I am of opinion that the government is much like that of Otaheite, that is, in a king or great chief, who is here called Ariki, with other chiefs under him, who are lords of certain districts and perhaps sole proprietors, to whom the people seem to pay great obedience. I also observed a third rank, which had not a little authority over the common people. My friend Otago was one of these. I am of opinion that all, all the land on Tonga Tabu is private property, and that there are here, as at Otaheite, a set of people who are servants or slaves and have no property in land. It is unreasonable to suppose everything in common in a country so highly cultivated as this. Interest being the greatest spring which animates the hand of industry, few would toil in cultivating and planting the land if they did not expect to reap the fruit of their labour. Were it otherwise, the industrious man would be in a worse state than the idle sluggard. I frequently saw parties of six, eight, or ten people bring down to the landing-place fruit and other things to dispose of, 
where one person, a man or woman, superintended the sale of the whole. No exchanges were made but with his or her consent, and whatever we gave in exchange was always given them, which I think plainly showed them to be the owners of the goods, and the others no more than servants. Though benevolent nature has been very bountiful to these isles, it cannot be said that the inhabitants are wholly exempt from the curse of our forefathers. Part of their bread must be earned by the sweat of their brows. The high state of cultivation their lands are in must have cost them immense labour. This is now amply rewarded by the great produce of which every one seems to partake. No one wants the common necessaries of life. Joy and contentment are painted in every face. Indeed, it can hardly be otherwise. An easy freedom prevails among all ranks of people. They feel no wants which they do not enjoy the means of gratifying, and they live in a clime where the painful extremes of heat and cold are equally unknown. If nature has been wanting in anything, it is in the article of fresh water, which, as it is shut up in the bowels of the earth, they are obliged to dig for. A running stream was not seen, and but one well at Amsterdam. At Middleburg we saw no water but what the natives had in vessels. But as it was sweet and cool, I have no doubt of its being taken up upon the island, and probably not far from the spot where I saw it. So little do we know of their religion that I hardly dare mention it. The buildings called Afiatukas before mentioned are undoubtedly set apart for this purpose. Some of our gentlemen were of opinion that they were merely burying places. I can only say from my own knowledge that they are places to which particular persons directed set speeches, which I understood to be prayers, as hath been already related, joining my opinion with that of others. I was inclined to think that they are set apart to be both temples and burying places, as at Otaheite or even in Europe but I have no idea of the images being idols, not only from what I saw myself, but from Mr. Wales's informing me that they set one of them up for him and others to shoot at. One circumstance showed that these afiatukas were frequently resorted to for one purpose or another, the areas or open places before them being covered with the green sod, the grass on which was very short. This did not appear to have been cut or reduced by the hand of man, but to have been prevented in its growth by being often trod or sat upon. It cannot be supposed that we could know much either of their civil or religious policy in so short a time as four or five days, especially as we understood but little of their language. Even the two islanders we had on board could not at first understand them, and yet as we became the more acquainted with them, we found their language was nearly the same spoken at Otaheite and the Society Isles, the difference not being greater than what we find betwixt the most northern and western parts of England, as will more fully appear by the vocabulary. End of Book 2 Chapter 3 
Recording by David Cole, Medway, Massachusetts.